This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. And there was nowhere to go that was leisurely and warm and comfortable for people with food intolerances and special diets. And so we kind of took it upon ourselves to be like, you know what? This is what we need to open. Danielle Hartog is a remarkable young woman whom I first met when she was 11 years old, reading a Japanese cookbook on the floor of Kitchen Arts and Letters bookstore. I knew immediately she had a passion for and a future in food. Today at 25, she is the chef and co-owner of Newbrook Kitchen, an acclaimed cafe in Westport, Connecticut, specializing in the paleo diet and simply delicious food. From her bone broth bar to wildly imaginative dishes and exquisite plating, Danielle has already become a chef to watch and has created a conversation and community of food lovers. This is both Danielle's story and probably the most charming restaurant story I've ever heard. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us in our own way is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Danielle Hartog, I may be more excited about having you in my kitchen today than anyone. Well, thank you. And uh, I think the reason will become very obvious in just a few minutes, but you are probably our youngest guest on the show. And as you know, One Woman Kitchen is actually very diverse and also very intergenerational. That's very intentional on, on our part to have older people and younger people. But I believe you are the youngest, Danielle. How old are you? I'm 25. Wow. Okay. That's so amazing. Because you have been cooking professionally yeah. more than half your life. Yes. Probably 11, 11 or 12, I think, is when it all when it all began. Well, it's amazing to see you. We haven't seen each other, I also think, in about 11 years. Yeah, so. Um, and we'll get to that. But I want to hear your version of our first encounter and then I will share mine. Sure. Yeah. As, as I remember, like my eleven-year-old mind. <laughs> to see what we both see remember. What we remember. But um, I'll start out by just telling our listeners sure. that you are a full-fledged professional chef and the co-owner of an important restaurant in Westport, Connecticut. Yeah. And you have written or helped write two cookbooks mm-hmm. that I know of, and uh, that's one of our connections, and have probably done many more things since I've seen you. Yeah. So we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Sure. But set it up for us. How did we first meet? Okay. So as, you know, the 11-year-old mind remembers, um, my mom went back to culinary school when I was 10 or 11, and any day off that I had from school, I would go into the city with her, and we would go to class, and then we would run around the city and eat food and go on food crawls. And it just so happened that there was a cookbook store called Kitchen Arts and Letters that my mom was desperate to go to. And it really almost didn't happen that we went because my grandmother was with us and she was tired. So we were going to try to put her in a taxi and she didn't want to go in the taxi. So we were like, okay, we'll just, we'll take her home. Um, But my mom was like adamant. We have to go today. This is the day. We don't have any other day to go. So we go, and at that point was my Asian cooking obsession. (laughs) 
Asian flavor everything. And so, you're 11. Yeah, yeah, at 11. So as I remember it, I had a bunch of cookbooks around me on the floor, all like Asian and, and different ones. And this woman walked up to me and said, mm. where's your mom? <laughs> and she disappeared for, I don't know, 10 minutes. And we shook hands. And then my mom came over and said, Roseanne Gold, a cookbook author, wants to hire you to work on her first kid's book. And like, and that's what I remember. I don't know if that's at all right. But oh that's definitely what my memory tells me. <laughs> well, that's a version of it. It's a version. But, but Danielle, why do you not remember what happened in between? No, not really. That's why that's why it like that's why it feels like such like a a distant shimmering Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, it is true. Uh Kitchen Arts and Letters is the most amazing cookbook store in New York. Uh, or maybe anywhere. People come from all over to go to it. And I go as often as I can, even though it's all the way on the Upper East Side on Lexington Avenue and 93rd Street. It's like for me, and I think for you and maybe your mom, like going to a candy store. Oh, yeah. So it's very, very exciting and transports you to faraway places. So I'm there and I'm walking around. It's not a very big place. And I almost tripped over you. (laughs) Because you were sitting on the floor cross-legged and you had a big Japanese cookbook open on your legs. Okay. (laughs) And I'm just taking this in. It's quite a sight. And I look at you. I look down, right? I'm quite tall and you're sitting on the floor. (laughs) And I said, what are you doing? And you said, I'm reading this Japanese cookbook. (laughs) I said, how old are you? And you said, 11. I said, really? And then you looked up at me and you said, I'm a chef. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's amazing. really? And then I said, where's Where's your your mom? mom? (laughs) (laughs) So this is the first time we've really been face-to-face sharing the story and our beginning. And, you know, someone once said this before. I thought it was original, but it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. But it's amazing what can happen when you leave the house, right? That's awesome. Um, and to be open to opportunities, and for me, and and for you. So I was just getting started. I had written many cookbooks up at, uh, until that point. But I was starting to write my first book for children. And it was going to be called Kids Cook 123, because my kind of signature at that point was uh, making cookbooks with recipes that used only three ingredients. And it was a whole new philosophy about cooking and thinking about recipes like chords of music and was kind of sophisticated. And the first, uh, I think, eight or nine books in the series were actually for adults and rather sophisticated combinations of flavors. But I really wanted to do one for children because that really seemed to make sense. Kids cook one, two, three. And I don't remember this part, but had I just started it or was I looking for someone to test recipes? I think you had just started toying with the idea. There was definitely movement in it before I was involved, but I think I think I came in pretty early. Yeah, I think you did too. Yeah. Um, or right, maybe I had just had a contract yeah. and was probably up looking at Kitchen Arts and Letters for other children's cookbooks. And um, I just, at that moment, fell in love with you and fell in love with this kid on the floor reading this Japanese cookbook who would dare say, quote, I am a chef. I'm a chef. (laughs) And you uh, lived in Connecticut. I lived in Brooklyn. But we found a way to 
to work together. Yeah. And Danielle, you tested every single recipe yeah. of the book, and there yeah, were quite I a think, few. Yeah. And we have your kind of notes all over the place, and yeah. we have quotes from you about the recipes you liked. I also gave you um, kind of the mandate of if you didn't like something, to either tell me why mm -hmm. or to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I gave you the permission to yeah. you know play around with my recipes and make them kind of kid-friendly and make sure they worked. Yep. And I happen to know that your mother is a very fabulous chef and pastry chef and also very exacting. Yes. So I felt very comfortable uh, with having you really help me um, put this book together. I had never really worked with anyone before. Yeah. Uh, on any of my other cookbooks, I never really had any help or assistance, but there was just something about you. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell tell us uh, more about what that experience was like for you at the time. Sure. Uh, at that time, food was always a passion, like obsessed with anything culinary, anything food. So then to be able to be seen kind of in an adult way rather than I'm just some kid, I think really kind of constructed my view on childhood and on mm -hmm. what it means to like have a passion. I think it's a, a an unfair notion that children who are passionate are just kids because mm -hmm. I think there are those special kids or subset or whatever who are just so beyond their years. And when they're seen as just children, it diminishes that passion. And so when you have someone that's able to look at you and foster it and say, I know you're just 11, but you're more than that, like, that meant everything. So I was able to then kind of pick myself up and be like, you know what, I love food now. And hopefully that's what I go into. But even if not, it's all about passion. And you had to mm -hmm. find those people who kind of accept that passion in you and are able to bring it out and foster it. Great. I mean, how wonderful. So um, what what was the first thing? How did we work together initially? I think you would email me recipes mm -hmm. and I would do them and then take notes. Um, I think a couple of times I would have friends come over and taste it. Yes. I was known in school as like the food girl. Like I'd, oh, bring, I'd bring food to teachers. I was, you know, a little teacher's pet. I knew how to how to work it a little bit. Um, and then I think I'd call you back and we'd talk on the phone mm. maybe once a week and go over whatever recipes we had gone through. Right. Um, yeah, it was, just, it was just cool. And it was really, we had everything in there. I mean, it was uh, yeah. breakfast items. I, one of the chapters was morning food and um, what to have for lunch and uh, desserts. I mean, the whole, yeah, the whole gamut. Yeah, I think what I remember most for some reason that's sticking was homemade peanut butter and homemade jelly. Oh, yes. And oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I, that's like very sharp in my mind. <laughs> and then there were a couple of other ones that really stuck out. Yeah, but it, there was just something so cool about the three ingredients. Yes. And that's like what magic. I, yes. Right? And that's what I loved. And that's honestly what I've carried through through my whole chef career. It's like simplicity doesn't mm. mean boring at all, it means like flavors can really shine. So the simpler or the less ingredients you have, kind of the more experimentation and fun you can have with it. Ooh, that is beautifully put because actually the idea of minimalist cooking is actually a very sophisticated kind yeah. of concept in some ways. And it's what chefs get to sort of at the end of their career. Mm -hmm. You know, they've already experimented and used 100 ingredients in addition, have foam things and right. nitrogen and all of yep. that. And it's like a return to really basic flavors. It's also, if you remember, 
about exploiting one ingredient to the max. Yes. So if you only have three ingredients to play with, you have to get the most out of each ingredient. Mm-hmm. So let's say with an orange, we would use the orange zest and uh, the rind and the segments and the juice. And so it's almost like one ingredient is actually becomes exactly. three or four. Right. So I do remember there was um, a very poignant story uh, around this time that we were doing – was it – well, we worked on two books together. Yes. You were also my executive sous chef yeah. on another book, yep. which was called Eat Fresh Food, Fabulous Food for Teenage yep. Chefs yep. or something like that. Um, and that was a different experience because the ingredients were not uh, – the recipes had many more than three right. ingredients. Right. What do you remember about Eat Fresh Food? I remember doing the photos for that book, and I very strongly remember cutting up jicama, jicama sticks mm. for guacamole. And and I have a very strong memory of I think that's when my brain started to make the connection, make the shift from chips and guacamole to jicama sticks. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, if I can have something crunchy, who cares what it is? I might as well go for like the freshest ingredients. So I remember doing that. And I remember one of the coolest parts of it was we did photos at my house in in, in my family's kitchen and the photographer came and – the only idea I ever had of like food styling was, you know, we'll use mashed potatoes for ice cream or movie secrets or things like that. And I thought he was going to change my food completely and style mm. it up and spray it. And he kept everything so rustically natural. And the photos came out so beautiful. And And I just remember it wasn't about like stylizing a product. It was like, this is what it is and it's gorgeous and it that should be the experience. And he was a wonderful he was photographer, phenomenal. Phil Mansfield. And I understand he may be the head of photography at the Culinary Institute of America now. Wow. We've kind of lost touch. But yes, he really did have a very natural yes. approach. And But your food is beautiful, Danielle. Thank you. Um, so I don't think he needed to do too much. Yeah. And you actually have a recipe in the book that has your name on it. Isn't it, it does. Isn't it called Danielle's Apple, Apple Crisp? Crisp? Yes. Yeah. And it's healthy. Yeah. Because you have a philosophy about philosophy about cooking that I definitely want to, to share. Yeah. But I want to go back to that poignant moment. Was it kids cook one, two, three, or eat fresh food when my mom was, it was so sick. Kids cook one, two, three. Okay. So this is the most amazing thing, Danielle, what you and your mother did for me. And I'm also wondering how this experience impacted your life. So my mother was very, very sick. And we were supposed to go on, or I was supposed to do a, a media tour for the book. And I was invited to come to California to do a radio show and a cooking demonstration. And I wasn't able to go. I had to be with my mom. And I called your mother and said, how would the two of you like to go to California? And how do you think Danielle would feel about doing a radio show and doing a cooking demonstration in California? And I believe there were a few other events uh, as well, which you'll tell me because I may not even know the whole whole story. And so, again, you're just 11 or 12. Yeah, at this point. I think I was 12 at that point. And so generous of you to offer to do that for me because these were commitments that were made by the publisher to the bookstores and the radio stations. Um, and again, there's something about uh, just infinite trust that I had in in you 
and just saw your amazing uh, abilities and um, and your generosity. So what was that experience like? Well, it wasn't so much um, being generous as it was probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. So like <laughs> from a selfish standpoint, it was it was incredible. I mean, it was the coolest thing. I ended up getting clearance to get out of school for 10 days and we flew to San Francisco and we went from cooking demonstration to book signing. And again, it was just – I had always felt so out of place in an 11-year-old body. Mm. I was like my my parents were actors and I had grown up in backstage and costume rooms and I was comfortable with adults. Like that's where I felt my place was. And so then again, here's this 12-year-old kid who's being taken seriously in in a professional capacity where I was, you know, ushered into these rooms and I would sign <laughs> kids books and it, and it was it was incredibly cool to see children who were again had a similar passion who were just excited to see someone who looked like them mm. in that situation. Oh, Danielle. And that's what I well, loved. Did you feel like a rock star? Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> I remember like a week before in my notebook for school, I just kept writing my signature because I have a real – I don't like the way my signature looks. But I was like, if I'm going to be signing books, they better have, you know, a scripted whatever. So I was playing around and people would look at my notebook and be like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going on a book tour? Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was it was amazing. Oh, and did you wear chef's whites when you would? I think so. I think you yeah, did too. and I met Jamie Lee Curtis. You did at a book signing. That was cool. Did she come to yours? She. We were in the same bookstore. It was. It was a big store. She was on one side and I was on the other. Um, but I think there was a demo at that point, and she came over and she tried the food, and we talked for a while. I never heard cool. this. That's yeah. so fabulous. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of hers, by yeah. the way. I would have been excited too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, were there some challenges? Did everything go right? Because it doesn't always. It doesn't always. I think the reason the peanut butter sticks in my mind was because we went to a school to do that demo because oh. that was my favorite recipe. And Daniel, what made it so special? I don't even remember. It was, it was grinding up the peanuts. I, mm. Because I think, again, there's the notion that you know, Skippy peanut butter, which there's a time and a place for Skippy peanut butter. Uh, <laughs> but it was to show how easy it is to take something from its most natural form and bring it to what you want it to be and knowing exactly what's in it. No added oils, no added sugars. It's just this is a peanut crushed up and <laughs> this is what it looks like. So what were the three ingredients? Was there a little bit of uh, it was, oil or honey it or was something? peanuts for the peanut butter and then it was grape juice and gelatin. Or pectin. Oh, I think that's all it yes. was. So it, the peanut butter and jelly together yes, were together. only three ingredients. Yeah. You know what? That grape jelly is one of my favorite yeah. sort of inventions or discoveries or whatever. But it was really Welch's grape juice yeah. that is cooked down I and mixed with we, gelatin right. and poured into a dish. And then you just sort of take a spoon and kind of, you know, gather it up. And it's got the greatest it's, consistency. Right. And it's so grapey. And I just remember being so – it's so cool because, again, it's just something that we would eat at lunch. But now you know how to make it. And it just made it that much cooler. Um, but we got to the school and there was a child with a severe peanut allergy. So they wouldn't allow us to bring the peanuts in. And I remember we were trying to troubleshoot and we improvised. And I just love speaking off the cuff. 
once I get started speaking at 12 years old, at 12 oh year olds, who, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> um, and so I just started talking to this ginormous gymnasium of kids about how you would turn nuts into nut butter. We didn't actually do it, but I talked the whole way through it. And then we made the jam and then they would all try the jam. It was just, it was really cool. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Wow. And that is what happens on the road, by the way, all of these unexpected, but you don't, you didn't seem really very flustered at all. No, I kind of like that stuff. Great. And I believe there was a radio show and there was, and I think they patched you in because I remember, I think you were in a studio in New York. Oh, that's right. And so I was, it was, I was remote. Yes. And you were there in in the studio. Wow, Danielle. Okay. And then the next book, as we said, was, was Eat Fresh Food. And then we parted. Then we parted. <laughs> and you went on to have your own amazing life. Yeah. So bring me up to date. It was a, it was a journey. Uh, I was probably in eighth grade um, when interests started changing, not necessarily super intensely, but I was really into art. I've always just been creative. So I was really into art and I started pursuing that a little bit. And throughout high school, actually, while I was in high school, I wanted to take culinary, but they wanted me to start out at the lowest level, which was baking cookies and brownies, which I'm not a great baker to begin with. Mm. And I'm not a huge dessert fan. So I didn't want to use my class time to do that. So I actually enrolled in child development and child study, ended up teaching preschool for a little bit, became really into that. I just have a connection with children. Uh, did that for a little while, then toyed with fashion design, uh, was working on a portfolio to to try to get into RISD, and I was doing photography, and I was doing jewelry making, and I was just playing around a lot. And then I think probably my junior year of high school, I started cooking again, and I was like, oh, no, this is – like I got back to the roots of why I loved it. So I end up applying to the Culinary Institute of America – Got in the August of going into my senior year of high school, hmm. um, went into my guidance council the next day and dropped all my APs because I was like, I'm in college already. I was the <laughs> wow. first one of my whole grade to get into a school. So I just kind of relaxed through senior year and uh, went off to the CIA. Unbelievable. But you did finish your last year of high school. I did. It did make you do I that. I did. But now you remembered... And you were on fire with your original passion of of food and cooking. Wonderful. So when we come back, I want to hear more about the the journey and certainly to know everything about this fabulous new restaurant that you have. Sounds great. Danielle, do you have a cooking tip to share? I do. Um... Biggest one that sticks with me is to never salt your mushrooms until they're already sauteed because salt pulls out the water and if you're and mushrooms contain so much liquid that if you salt them at the beginning they don't brown the way you want them to so always salt your mushrooms at the end from Danielle's kitchen to yours give it a try and pass it along Danielle, before we go on to talk about your uh, journey at the Culinary Institute of America, I want to 
remember with you this idea we had a long time ago about you're doing a show on the Food Network because I just you have so much poise and you had so much to teach and so much to share. And uh, Mark Summers and I had really loved the idea of promoting you at the Food Network. Yeah. And we went there and actually pitched a show, uh, you know, with you and four children and a younger audience. And I remember the senior VP said, no, 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 you know, kids watch our show, but they're really not an audience and they don't cook and it will never work. And we, Mark and I, certainly didn't believe that. And then Nickelodeon came to us, too, to develop a kind of a more of a game show mm -hmm. for children. And I remember we pitched something called Cook or Be Cooked, and it was really a fun fun idea. But it was just ahead of its time yeah. because you and I both at some point – well, tell tell me what happened when you actually saw the first kid on the Food Network. I think I was in my dorm at CIA, and I had a, a single – Thank, thank goodness. Um, and <laughs> I was flipping through basic cable and I came onto Food Network and there was Chopped Junior, I think it was. And immediately I threw my drink at the TV. Like I just had a visceral reaction and I called my mom right away and I was like, kids are on Food Network. Like what's happening? Uh, it was just a little too early. Yeah. Yeah. We have an expression for that in our office. You know, it's about being, quote, too previous. Yeah. And, uh, and we were. But yep. of course, you know, kids love food and yeah. are very passionate at a very early age. And now there are many shows of with children in mind, uh, cooking and as viewers. Yeah. So, Danielle, but, you know, you're, you're young and many things can still happen for you. Absolutely. Um, so here you are throwing drinks at the TV, <laughs> at the Culinary Institute of America. And what, what was it like? I've never gone to cooking school. It was a wild experience. It, the only thing I could, could try to compare it to is military school. <laughs> it was incredibly militaristic. It was uniforms and uniform checks in the morning, flyaways on the back of females' head had to be gelled up, you know, neckerchiefs everything white and pressed it was it was very militaristic um there was kind of a beauty in that mm. uh and we were all the start date that i chose because there was a new class every three weeks was the start date that was closest to a regular college enrollment so my my class was 80 kids and we were the the cohesively youngest group um and we were all just kind of bushy-tailed and wide-eyed and ready to go. And it was fascinating because they do try to weed people out, which it, it was tough. First couple of weeks uh, were the fundamentals and it was mother sauces and soups and stocks and the basics and knife skills. And I do think that's where what I most enjoyed were those fundamentals and basics. Um, but unfortunately, as the year was coming to a close and I went into my externship, I started to get ill. I, I would get really tired and mm. bloating and nausea and ended up being diagnosed with Hashimoto. It's mm. a thyroid disease, right. um, autoimmune. And at that point, we were looking for alternative medicine situations. So I ended up going gluten-free and dairy-free and just kind of got a little dejected with the food scene because I felt like how could I participate if I wasn't fully in in enthralled in the French culinary ideal. Um, so I withdrew. So I left after my first year, which I 
I have a philosophy that you don't live with regrets. So I don't regret going and I don't regret leaving. It was one of the best experiences. But at that point, I felt like I needed to find my new passion. So I ended up going to UConn, University of Connecticut, um, and I loved it. I went back to my teaching roots and I enrolled in human development and family studies. I was going to either be a child psychologist or a teacher. Uh, and then I had one professor who really struck me and he was a communication professor. So I ended up enrolling in communication. I was working in, in um, PR and media and I loved that. And then – Nothing to do with food at this nothing point. Nothing to do with food. Mm -hmm. okay. And then I moved off campus and I had a kitchen. And so for the first <laughs> time after, in, in a long time, I was able to cook for myself. And so I started playing around with gluten-free cooking and dairy-free cooking and paleo. And I was like, whoa. I'm good at this. Like this mm. is this is cool. This is a niche. This is unique. So um And you were reading a lot about it at the time. Yeah. Or, okay. I was doing a lot of research mm -hmm. and I started to realize, along with my mom, who was diagnosed with a similar disease right before me, and she also went paleo, that the idea of healthy food and healthy restaurants were very stark white, juice bar. You get a salad bowl and you stand at a bar and that's your experience. And there was nowhere to go that was leisurely and warm and comfortable for people with food intolerances and special diets. Hmm. And so we kind of took it upon ourselves to be like, you know what? This is what we need to open. And so I came back home because UConn's main campus is in stores, Connecticut, in the middle of cows and grass. <laughs> and I came back home and I ended up going to the one of the satellite campuses mm -hmm. and I would take classes in the morning and then I'd come home and we'd start prepping recipes. We were doing um, renovations on our space and I graduated on June 10th and we opened on June 13th. This is an unbelievable story. Yeah. So you did graduate from school. I did. I graduated with, from UConn. With a degree in, in communication and women, gender, sexuality studies. Excellent. Yeah. And you opened a restaurant three days later. Mm -hmm. Now, you said something about um, renovating your space. So yeah. what was the space? Did you happen to already have a space? Y or? Yeah. So we had a space. Um, the main kitchen, which is on the side, was had been open since the 80s. It's a cool story. They would have people rent the space and then all the money would go to AIDS research. So that kitchen had been in use for a while. And then the other side went from an anesthetician situation with nails and facials. <laughs> so it was four different rooms and we ended opening it up um, and making it our, our own space. And it was it was really cool. Though. But it's a space. I mean, so you are the tenants of the yeah, space where you pay rent. And yeah. It's a regular yeah, yeah. business yeah. deal. Yeah. So for the two of you, now I know your mom had a very, very, and maybe she still does, and maybe both of you do this together too, but a very successful catering business and, and school. Yeah. Where you would do a lot of teaching. We taught kids. Um, yeah. Taught kids. Yep. Together and, mm -hmm. and separately. So how many months or years went by from the minute the two of you decided to create this restaurant to actually that 13th day? You said June yeah, 13th? Yeah, yeah. Uh, from the minute you had this idea to the time you actually opened was how long? Who, six months? Probably. Okay, this, is, this is amazing. It was fast. It was fast. It was – I had come back for school break 
and we were my mom and I are incredibly close. We worked together all day. Um, <laughs> we were talking about what my future was going to be. That I really got into paleo cooking, um, and so we started looking at spaces. But rent is expensive, and we had this idea of just a really small, warm environment where part of what's tough for women in the restaurant business is being able to have a work-life balance. And I knew the minute I left culinary school that if I ever went back into food, it was going to be my way, in my time, the way I wanted it to be done. Sounds like you, Danielle. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so we knew we needed a place that we could afford to you know, take vacations or take a night off um, and not have to employ a ton of people to make it run. So we were looking and some places were really great, but the town wasn't right and the situation wasn't right. And did you have a skeptics though, like your father or your yes. husband and, oh, yes. and others? Yes. You, you want to open a restaurant? Yes. I People mean, were like, where's crazy. your business plan? And we were like, we're working on it. <laughs> like, the passion comes first. If the passion's there, it'll work. And did you have to go to a bank? And It was, it was well, so we were in the car one day and we had just looked at a space that was much too expensive and it wasn't feasible. And I was like, you know what? I thought I'm just going to I'm going to go to to hairdressing school because I love working with hair and makeup and <laughs> and I'm and I'm done. And my grandfather, who's been passed for 13 years, um, was a very successful businessman. And we had always felt him guiding us. And the restaurant Aww. is named after him. Really? Um, and I'm in the car with my mom and I start yelling at my dead grandfather like if this is meant to work, wh where is it? Like, th it should be easier than this. And the next morning, both my mom and I woke up and a space that had been on the market for 13 months just became available to us on our website that we were using. I don't know if it was protected for you could only as a subscriber to the real estate website, but it popped up and we went to see it and we signed a lease a week later. I wish everyone could see the smile on my face right now. This is an extraordinary story of today and also of beyond, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> that your, that your yes. grandfather yeah. kind of uh, made this happen for you. But you both made it happen for yourselves. It's just a beautiful story. So the idea was to have a restaurant mm -hmm. that was uh, offered an alternative to people who had special diets. Can you define what paleo actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it really means going back to our roots as early human beings, more hunter-gatherer style. So uh, with many and most autoimmune diseases, body creates inflammation. And when you're inflamed, different parts fight against your body. So food can increase the inflammation. And the really inflammatory foods are gluten, dairy, soy, corn, really those more modern manufactured ingredients. And so in paleo, we take us back to the roots of how we were really meant to digest and meant to eat. Uh, and there's just this notion that healthy is boring. And I wanted to really bring that out and, and, and negate that and show that that's not true at all. And what is the name of this restaurant? The restaurant is Newbrook Kitchen. And what does Newbrook mean? You said something about your grandfather's yeah, name. Yeah. So my grandfather was a self-made businessman. He came from nothing and decided when he was in college that the first trade that he got into was going to be what he made his life about. And so he got into paper converting. I'm still not entirely sure what that means. Still don't really get it. I've, I've tried. Um, but he had two offices, one in New York, well, New Jersey, 
New Jersey and Brooklyn. And so it was Newbrook. Um, so he ah. was Newbrook Paper Corp. And when we were looking for a name, we were trying to like play around with cutesy paleo things like mm-hmm. Bedrock Kitchen or <laughs> or, or something maybe paleolis- or paleolithic. Um, and then it just popped in Newbrook Kitchen. We're like, that's it. Like that's that has the ring to it. And so the logo is his original handwriting, his original logo. Oh, this is so wonderful. And it's located where? In Westport, Connecticut. Very cool. So when we come back, I want to hear about some of the most delicious things you have on the menu and what is meaningful to you right now and what's in store for you. Great. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. Okay, so now my curiosity is so piqued. I want to know, obviously, I haven't been to the restaurant yet, and I can't wait to come. But what does it look like? How many seats do you have? When is it open? And tell me about the menu. Yeah, so um, I think we seat around 22 to 25. It's a small space. The front has windows in the front, so it's a little brighter, and it's one big communal table, and it's kind of Mm. fun. Um, And then the back was modeled – after my grandfather, kind of his den. So darker colors, wood tables, Mm. cool metal seats. um, And there's pictures of him hanging around more so as our artwork. No one would really have any idea unless we explained it. Um, But it's a beautiful space. And the coolest part was that I was interested in interior design and interior decorating. And my mom kind of gave me free reign and was like, enjoy go at it so we were thinking we were going to hire a designer and then i was like no i want to do this i'm not i'm not i'm fine with my hands but i didn't do any of the the electrical work or whatever but (laughs) you know i got to choose lighting and seating and it was it was really cool and then your mother is so awesome she's the best um there's a big kitchen in the back where all the prep is done and then there's more of a bakery area where i do the lunch service so we're open for breakfast and lunch Tuesday through Saturday, um, and I have a little pass-through window, and it's it's just me back there. There's so. no one doing prep? No. Helping you at all? No. You do it all? I do it all. I the it ordering? All. Well, my mom does all the baking and pastry. She does ah. the front of house. She does the ordering. She takes care of the business side. And then during lunch, the tickets come through to me, and she brings it out. So it's a two- So there's not even a wait. wait no, a no, no. It's a two-woman it operation. Two of you. Yeah. Just the two of us. And then we do tasting dinners once a month and my sister comes home from the city and my dad comes and they help serve. So it's truly just family. This is the most charming restaurant <laughs> it's story very, it's I very have charming. ever heard. And I've heard many. Okay. Tell me about the menu, you, the breakfast menu and the lunch yeah, menu. Yeah. So again, it, it really all came around, let's make really fun food for people who can't really eat this the, in restaurants often and for people who wouldn't know that it's healthy. Like we wanted to have a community of people, those who had restrictions and those who just like good food. Mm. So uh, I have a couple of main plates. We do cauliflower crust pizzas that are awesome. I make a house-made vegan cheese. We do um, garlic and onion-free pesto because we have a lot of customers with garlic and onion 
issues, Mm -hmm. which restaurants normally wouldn't think about. Um, We only use olive oil, avocado oil, and coconut oil. We only use pink Himalayan sea salt. Mm. We're as organic as we can be. Um, And it was really modeled mostly around what my customers wanted. So when we started, we weren't exactly sure how it was going to morph, but we had three salads, three sandwiches on house-made bread, and then a special each day. And the special was the entree. But then slowly the entree, the special started to gain traction that people didn't really want the salads. They wanted the interesting, unique kind of cooked food. Yeah. Mm. So um, one of my specials was a meatloaf. And again, I have people who don't eat nightshades, Mm -hmm. which are tomatoes, potatoes. Eggplant. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't put ketchup on it. On the on the meatloaf. So I did a turkey meatloaf that I put raw carrots and cabbage into to keep it moist when it cooked. Yes. Then I wrapped it in bacon and then I did a maple mustard glaze. And it sold out woo, within like an hour. And people were so obsessed with it that they were like, you need to add this to the menu. So I ended up doing turkey burgers. They're turkey meatloaf burgers. Uh, they're bunless, but they're wrapped in bacon. They have the glaze. They get pan fried. And then avocado, and I make my own um, aioli, and they're with white sweet potato fries that are baked. And that is by far the most popular item. I can see why. Yeah. This sounds fantastic. Yeah. Okay, give us another. Another one. <laughs> I myself, I tried doing vegan. I thought it would be a, a cool alternative. My body doesn't agree with it, mm-hmm. but it's both very popular right now and it's helping a lot of people. Um, and I was really upset with the veggie burgers out there. I really wanted to create kind of a veggie burger, again, without a bun, that was going to be full of unique, cool flavors. And I was just experimenting. And green plantains, if they're mashed up, kind of work as a binder like eggs. Mm. So I was like, okay, I know I want to use plantains. Uh, Five Napkin Burger has a great beet burger that isn't gluten-free. So, But I knew I liked the color of the beets. So I was like, okay, we're going to bring beets into it. And we make our sweet potato fries from uh, Japanese white sweet potatoes. They have like a starchier consistency and they're not as sweet as a orange sweet potato. I was like, okay, maybe that'll work in there too. And then I went with eggplant kind of for the, the, the consistency binder. And I'm mashed them all up, put some (laughs) almond flour in it and ginger powder and baked them and they were phenomenal. So Mm. that became the the vegan staple and it served over house-made curry sauce done with coconut milk and then it has an Asian slaw. And I now start to get heavy meat eaters who are choosing to order that instead of anything else off the menu. I can see why. Oh, my goodness. Okay, one more. is one What is more. the most popular breakfast item? Most popular breakfast item is our new brook, which is our avocado toast. And that was like the flagship uh, collaboration between my mom and I. So <laughs> any baked good that my mother touches turns to gold. Mm. It's it's. I don't know how she does it. It's all gluten-free and dairy-free, soy-free. She only uses coconut sugar or maple syrup, but like phenomenal. So she makes our nut and seed bread off the charts and then we knew we needed to do an avocado toast so it has the house made pesto on it mashed avocado and then a fried egg Mm. and it's simple but it's beautiful and the the 
nuts that are in the bread and the avocado. It's 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 just it's a wonderful winner. combination. Yeah. Wow. What are some of the predominant spices and herbs that you've been using? So that's the funny thing. And I think this is what I got from you was <laughs> when you keep it simple, you can actually taste the flavors. And I think that's what's so unique mm. about having an allergy or having a food sensitivity or a special diet is you have to find the ways around over flavoring. Because when you over flavor, you don't really care what the vegetables or meat taste like. But when you're going back to the core, you want to bring out those real flavors. So I keep it simple and I'm obsessed with rosemary and thyme. Those are my go-to herbs. Um, and sage is my personal favorite. So I'll fry sage and beef tallow and throw it on everything. Um, wow. Yeah. So this restaurant, Newbrook Kitchen, yep. is for everyone. It's for everyone. Right? It's for meat eaters yes. and um, people who have some kind of culinary restrictions. Absolutely. But they come because it's just damn good food, yeah, and, delicious and, and colorful when you, and simple. when you walk in, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get my mom and I. We're going to know you by name. <laughs> so we, we've created like a, a family. We have people who are in every day, every other day, and they know who they're going to talk to. And they know that, you know, if they have an upset stomach that day and they need something simple, I'll do whatever they need. It's it's about them. It's about creating a conversation and a community of food lovers who don't want to go into like the excess gluttony of food, but just mm. want to enjoy it at its purest. So you're sort of anti-trend. Yeah. You are just sort of on trend. Oh, yeah, sure. Yes. So I'm coming to you with an upset stomach, Danielle. What are you going to do for me? I do um, a house-made bone broth. I, I, in When I was at culinary <laughs> school, stocks were my favorite. I think they're so unique and so fun. Uh, and I got in touch with a local farm called Stort Family Farm um, up in Bridgewater, Connecticut, and they raise their cattle completely humanely. So grass-fed, grass-finished, and they sell me bones. And I simmer the bones for two days for 48 hours mm. with herbs and seasonings and carrots and onions. And then we have a bone broth bar. So you can choose oh my. A, a organic chicken breast or grass-fed bison meatball and vegetables and um, – that's like the winter staple. And that's anytime I get a call of I have a stomach ache or I'm sick, I'm like, I'll whip you up the bone broth. I got it. I got it ready for you. <laughs> that's so wonderful. What is the average check for breakfast and lunch? Average check? Mm -hmm. um, it's it, the difficult part. It, it is pricier because we, mm -hmm. you know, we. I'm just trying to figure out how, how you're both making yeah. a living. So. Um, breakfast usually goes for $15 a person and mm -hmm. lunch can probably go up to 22 Beautiful. Yep. Wonderful. Do you have a wine list? We don't, but we uh we have uh nitro brew coffee and nitro matcha on tap. So we kind really? of feel like we have our little like beer taps in there. And then we have a whole range of C B D seltzers and uh iced teas without sweetener and it's just Oh, a excuse whole... me, I take back what I said before about being anti trend. Uh uh. <laughs> You know, this we, all we, sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we we make it work. On trend. Yeah. And tell me about desserts. Desserts. Whew. Uh, there's a whole new Brook cookie collection. And I remember probably a month before we opened, uh, sitting in the kitchen with my mom just testing cookie recipe after cookie recipe. And everything is completely her own. And she came up with this like perfect cookie. It's a vanilla cookie filled with 
macadamia nuts and chocolate chunks and pecans and it has nut butters swirled through it. And we were trying to figure out a name and it ended up being the Nutty Caveman. And that is by far the number one seller. Um, And then she had a favorite brownie when she was younger and wanted to kind of create this like thick, gooey brownie without any of the crap that's necessarily in other ones. And so our, our brownies are off the charts and there's a couple of families who buy 50 a month if not more to 50 brownies yeah yep to send to school with their kids we have a couple women on the brownie diet they eat one for lunch <laughs> they claim it works so <laughs> that's whatever all, works that's all for they have, them just a brownie and, yeah. a, and a matcha tea yeah exactly i'm down with that yeah right <laughs> amazing okay what is next for you girls is there a cookbook on the horizon is there another restaurant is there a line of products there's, you know, a day at a time. I, I, we have probably three ish more years on the lease, and then it's going to be time to find what's coming next. Whether we stay open or we go with new ventures, um, I have a lot of recipes that could go in a book. But the one of the things that I love about cooking, over my lack of skill of baking, is it it's very artistic. So while I'm cooking, I don't write things down. So somehow all my food comes out very consistent, but I've never written a single thing down. Mm. So it's it's all from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be it would be a challenge for me to get them down on paper. It's it's definitely doable. So that definitely could Danielle, be. Danielle, I do horizon. have an idea though. You may want to approach the Culinary Institute again, or even just put this out there, but. I think there are probably many young women, just like you once were, who are very passionate about food, who would love the opportunity to hang out with you in the kitchen. And maybe they could document some of your recipes and just sit there and take notes. There we go. And then you get a chance to develop a relationship with a younger woman in the way that I got to develop one with you and pass it along. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, Danielle, it's really remarkable to talk to you you're 25 years old, and in a way, you've already had your career. You know, you've had a restaurant, you taught children, you've worked on um, two cookbooks. What is the future like? And I don't mean just like what you'll do next, whether you'll do a cookbook or a restaurant, yeah. but what's sort of the bigger picture for you? What what dreams do you have five, think, 10 years from now? I think the bigger picture, and especially because I'm very passionate about women's rights and you know, where women fit into society is to show that there is a place in the world for women to have family life and to have career, especially in the kitchen. Because that's a really hard one to come by. It's this notion that if you devote your life to a restaurant, you're not going to have kids. You're not going to have a marriage. You're not going to have vacation. And I think we need to challenge that. And I think we need to kind of accept that food is food and it's just art. And We don't have to take it so seriously. How wonderful. Thank you. And when you speak about a mark, uh, the word legacy comes to mind. And uh, we did ask you to think about a legacy recipe, even though you're a little young to be thinking about a a legacy (laughs) recipe. But what might it be? I think it has to be the the turkey burger. I do too. Because I think it's just, it's unique, but it's universal. And it kind of pleases everyone. You know, it has turkey, so it's quote unquote healthy, but it has bacon, so it's indulgent. It has maple syrup and mustard and it's 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 fun and it's it's 
easy, but it's complex. And yeah, I think I think that's my my go to. So rather than legacy recipe, we'll just call it your your signature, your yeah. favorite signature yeah. recipe at this yeah. point. And when you come back in twenty years, we can talk about your legacy. There recipe. we go. So Danielle, one question I ask all of my guests is this. What does one woman kitchen mean to you? Well, the funny part is I am a one woman kitchen. So <laughs> it, I mean, it means it, it really sums everything up. You really are. I'm, yeah. I don't think anyone else can really say no, that. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> it's definitely unique. Uh, if I were to push that a little further, though, in sort of more poetic terms, yeah. what, what might that mean to you? Think about your own mother or grandmother. And yeah, sort of- I think food is legacy and it's memories and they, they pass down. And, you know, I remember my paternal grandmother being in the kitchen making matzo ball soup on the holidays. And I remember us all joining in and I have two sisters and we we chat over food and and women and stories have kind of always been passed down through the kitchen. I think that's our history and that's where the history is going is if you lose that together time, you lose women's voices and and, and stories. So mm. I think that's important to keep alive. So beautiful. Danielle, thank you for being with me today in my kitchen. And thanks to all of you for listening to Danielle and me on One Woman Kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold. And check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. And if you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden. Written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.